Hello. This is Tammy. It's coming to May, or, or rather, it's already May.、Mm-hmm. So we're almost half the year into 2022. How's your year been, Tammy? It's been quite alright, I feel, and I'm I'm loving my journey so far. Yeah. Anyway, today is my off day,、Yay. so I'm extra happy. <laughs> Yay! What have you been doing on your off day?、Um, actually, this is the first activity after my work, <laughs> so I feel really excited to be here、mm. and to to meet someone new today. <laughs> yeah, and and so we have an, a new guest today, and、uh, she's someone really special. Yeah, I've I've thought of inviting her over for quite some time now. And we have had a lot of conversations around、uh, the practice of yoga and also yoga spaces here in Singapore. And since today, all three of us, including our guest, we are、uh, in some ways we teach yoga or we offer the practice of yoga. I think it's a beautiful time to come together to have a chat around、um, the practice of yoga and what that means to. What that means in our building of our relationship, our nurturing of our relationship, and that cultivating of relationship with ourselves and our bodies. So today we have we have Lee, Lee. in the house. Welcome. Hello. Hi, in the house. I feel like you get out and dance. <laughs> in the house, yo. <laughs> What's up, people? <laughs> Ready to DJ now? <laughs> I heard that you edit. So. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to、Hello. the podcast, and thank you for agreeing to come on this show. Thank you for having me both. It's lovely to be here and lovely to meet Tammy for the first time.、Mm. Yay! And、um, I think there's one question that we ask quite a few of our guests when they arrive. So I think it could be nice to ask you as well.、Um, So, of course, tell us a little bit about yourself, and tell us what makes you feel alive. Wow, you want to start with that? Of <laughs> okay. So, hi everyone listening to Yoke and Tammy's podcast. I am Lee. What do you want? My age, <laughs> my stats. <laughs> <laughs> If you want to give your stats, okay. Maybe not here. <laughs> Um, so I who you are as a person. So I wow, that's a huge question to unpack, right? Exactly, exactly. Thanks for not letting me prepare earlier.、Um, so I'm Lee. I'm a practitioner and a student of yoga.、Mm. And what makes me come alive is being immersed in the practice of yoga as well as being able to share it. As authentically as I can,、mm. can or not? Of course, can.、Yeah. I mean, it's, it's whatever you make of it, right?、Um, when you say you're a practitioner of yoga, tell us a little bit more about that. I think、um, when I started my yoga practice, and this was a long time ago, the understanding of Yoga in the modern world is essentially the shapes that we make on the mat, and it often felt like there was a destination I had to be striving towards. Like, oh, okay, I can do a forward fold. I need to learn a back bend next. I can do a crow pose. I need to learn the next arm balance, the next inversion. But I think in the journey that I've been on, yoga to me is a practice of life. It's a Daily remembering of who I am. It's a daily remembering of my journey home to myself, not anywhere outside of me.、Mm-hmm. And it is a practice because we live in a world where we are constantly drawn outwards, where we tend to feel like there's somewhere outside of us that we need to be, in order to have progressed or in order to have arrived. But I think yoga is a constant. Process of arriving again and again back home to yourself.、Mm. That sounded quite philosophical. It is. <laughs> And we will take the next,、uh, 
knows how long to unpack that. Okay. <laughs> what got you started on your yoga practice? Apart from like dabbling in classes, I was 16 when I attended my first yoga class. And back then, the scene in Singapore, yoga was not a big thing. The first class I attended was in Amore Fitness, like the women's only gym, like very old school, right? I that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I, think, I think they might still be around. It was a class that my friend signed me into. I went in, I remember feeling really bored. I didn't enjoy whatever they were doing. And then I found yoga again for the first time, I would say, when I was 20. Um, my dad was moving through some challenges in his work and he wasn't able to fully show up at home. And I had also just broken up with like who I thought was the love of my life. And I felt like my entire world was crumbling. I was walking past Chinatown, this Kyongsai Road studio, and at that time, like, there's no Instagram, you know, it was just like this piece of paper saying like yoga classes and then they put the telephone number and like little taps and you tear it off. Mm. So, yeah, that was my first experience with what a potentially powerful practice of yoga it can be, if that makes sense. So I attended it. Um, I started as a way to seek solace from whatever was happening or unfolding in my life back home and at 20 I really didn't have much inner resources or capacity to process in a healthy manner um, yeah so that class ended up being something that I look forward to every Wednesday evening for a long time and here I am mm. I'm very curious eh, because um, I think 16 is, is really quite young mm. to enter into the practice but officially it was 20. 16 yeah. was at Amori class. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But even at 16, you know, at 16 we are usually more into like, oh, what's happening at the cinemas? What's the movie screening now? I want to go play with my friends. I want to go gaming with my friends or shopping. Mm. Um, I'm quite curious. You said your friends brought you there. Mm. But now thinking back, right, what mm. was your understanding of what was I entering into? <laughs> What was this? I had absolutely no expectation. Um, I think yoga wasn't even something that I thought about. And honestly, because she was a member at the studio and she just signed me into the most like available class. And at that time, it was yoga. Mm -hmm. And I think it was her first time or her second time only. And I don't mm -hmm. think we ever went back to right. that class. Yeah. Do you still remember what happened in that class? Not much, but I remember it was a female instructor and we were asked to do bridge pose. Okay. And I remember that she had a finger very near my bum and asking me to like lift it up. So I felt at that time that it was really invasive and that sort of formed my opinion of what yoga was. And I think that's why that I, I never felt inclined to go back for quite some time. Mm. Tell us more about that feeling... Um, of like it feels invasive to you mm. Mm. yeah um, I think it's invasive now looking back and unpacking I would say it's very invasive in many ways one of course is touch without consent and touch in a part of my body that feels more private and vulnerable but also the intention behind her touch which was to get me to lift my bum higher and I think when we offer um, assists or yoga assists or what people would say yoga adjustments, it is often with that idea of how a posture should look like aesthetically. Yeah, so I think that's also quite invasive of what the practice can possibly bring up for any person at any given point in time. Mm. Well, assist is something that is quite common. Mm -hmm. in, in yoga classes these days and perhaps we can talk a little bit more about that later on sure. uh, but I'm curious because you said it felt invasive and that's why you didn't go back after mm. that so at 20 what led you to return um, to the practice of yoga and it became a space for you to uh, work through or process some of the 
changes that were happening in your mm. life back then? There must have been some inner intelligence that was guiding me to the practice because at 20, I was a gym bunny. I loved running. I loved swimming. Yoga wasn't something that fell into that nature of activity. But I remember walking past that shop house many times and looking at the flyer and sort of like chickening out and just walking back home. It's on my way home. But one day, I think my world was so unrecognizable to me that I felt what's the harm in doing something that's unfamiliar since I'm already halfway there. So I think the first class with my teacher Sunil, thinking back, I think it felt safe and it felt like I was held in containment, yet I was able to just be alone, away from the pooling and the distractions that were obviously taking up a lot of my mental space and energy. What about you, Tammy? Have you ever had a class where you felt really safe with the yoga teacher? I think most of the classes that I did earlier on, when the yoga scene wasn't that big yet, so far I am happy to be in all my classes. Um, I really benefited from the shavasana and all the movements. Um, I, I don't remember the teacher correcting me a lot, like giving me physical assist. Mm. And also being there with someone I know, like my friend, mm. was also helpful for me. Yeah. I mean, now as I speak, um, I remember there was a class where it got really big because the teacher was really popular. I think there were more than 20 people in the class. Don't really know how I felt at that time, but it wasn't really pleasant to be there. Lah. Yeah, and thereafter, I, I didn't attend her class anymore. And I began to seek out uh, other yoga studios and classes that were a bit more traditional, not so commercial, and it took me quite some time to find a teacher that I can click with. Mm. Um, and that teacher was willing to even listen to me, uh, like a friend, mm. and, uh, offer me tips about my own practice. Not I mean, sometimes when she did the physical adjustment, uh, it felt okay to me. Mm. I think she did ask consent as well. Mm. Yeah. So that was my experience uh, with my yoga practice. So Leah was wondering, um, like when you say about the safety and the containment that you felt in the yoga class that you had with your teacher at age 20, mm -hmm. how, was, how do you feel that in your body at that time? Mm. I think looking back now where, where I am, I have more vocabulary than I did when I was 20. Um, when I was anxious and upset and grieving the end of a relationship, I always felt maybe a sense of disassociation, like I don't want to be here feeling this pain that I don't know how to process. And at that time, you know, not feeling that pain meant waiting or hoping that external circumstances would change. But what I, in retrospect, realized that my teacher offered every Wednesday was a place where I could come back to my body. Um, I don't remember much of the physical asanas that we did, but I always remember like the yoga nidra type meditation we did at the end. He would lay us down for like a good 30 minutes, it felt like it. And he always started like, where are you in your body? You are not in your toes. Where are you in your body? You're not in your shins, you know? And it was like a beautiful way to both recognize that I am inhabiting this body, yet I am more than this body. Yeah, so that was really powerful in a very simple way. And from then on, like, um, how did your own yoga practice um, grow? over that time till maybe now? Mm. 
I fell in and out of yoga after that as well because I went on to India to do my exchange and I had the illusion that in India it would be very easy to find a yoga teacher and continue <laughs> my, <laughs> my studies but I was in Gujarat and I didn't find any yoga teacher at all except for one of my course mates on the program who mm. offered, you know, classes but it was just from him sharing the practice as he was taught when he was a young boy um, I fell out of it for a while for quite a few years my practice consisted of this was the VCD era <laughs> <laughs> and there was this really well-known American yoga teacher called Rodney Yee so he teaches like a Iyengar type yoga and he, I, some of the shops, they used to sell like VCDs of him offering these classes. So for quite a few years, my practice was literally that playing his VCD on like my living room TV, rolling up my mat and just following whatever he was doing. Wait, was this in, still in India or no, no, no. returned uh, to Singapore? I returned to Singapore. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so that was it for quite a few years until my bestie, who in her own terms had found a yoga studio to practice in and really loved it. She said, hey, why don't you come and try this studio? Because I've been trying to find a place that I felt comfortable in, but there were not a lot of choices then. Yeah, so there were not a lot of choices in terms of yoga studios at that time. And she bought me a, as a Christmas um, present, a one-week trial at home yoga. At that time, I think I was maybe 25. I think the studio had just opened for a while. It was in the Raffles um, CBD area. I went in and at that age, I loved the physicality of the practice. I loved the sweat. I loved the intensity of the heat. And I think that was truly what got me back into a consistent studio practice. How long has it been since that moment? you enter into home yoga? I think a good 12 years, mm. 25, yeah, about 12 years, long, so, time. Um, long time. The place has evolved, the practice has evolved, we have all evolved. <laughs> How would you describe your practice now? I was just sharing with Yoke over lunch earlier, um, just this morning I wrote like a love letter to my practice. I think at this stage in my journey and in my life, my practice is one of remembering. Remembering that I am just a speck of dust in the universe and therefore to not play up on my self-importance or the drama that comes with the ego. But at the same time, my practice also instills in me a steadiness and a confidence that just because I'm not playing up my self-importance, it doesn't mean that I'm going to shirk back from life. So I feel like I can stand tall, yet also soft, to receive life as it comes. So, and my practice is very much a personal practice at home. It doesn't start with me stepping on the yoga mat or rolling out my yoga mat. My practice starts with me sitting at my altar every morning. I lay some fresh flowers, I light a candle, and I spend some time at the feet of divinity. So I connect a lot with the Hindu pantheon, pantheon of um, goddesses and gods. And that is how I connect to the divine in terms of external form. But that external connection is ultimately what guides me to remember my own inner divinity as well. Yeah, so that's very much my practice these days. I guess with all three of us here, we, we've all been through our own journey with yoga. And just now, Tammy, when you were sharing about how there was this class that you took with a very popular teacher and there were a lot of people who turned up and that kind of... I, I'm not sure you can share more with us. It, that somehow that feels like it... it turned you away from the practice. There was something about that class that didn't make you feel so safe. Yeah, and it's interesting because I was also reflecting the way I was introduced to the practice. I, my very first class was, I think I mentioned this, I was 20, I think, when my father just passed away and, and my friend brought me to this CC yoga mm -hmm. class. 
and it was uh, it, it wasn't a big size class it was relatively quite a small class and I remember I mean I don't remember what happened in the class but I remember the practice being something quite intimate but also at the same time physically I couldn't catch up at all yeah there's something demanding uh, on that aspect and then I, I fell off I mean I didn't visit that practice I didn't visit the practice of yoga anymore until maybe several years later and then when I re-entered into the practice I started out at a studio with large classes this is we're talking about 40 people in a room you know sweating out together and sometimes it almost felt like uh, aerobics class rather than a yoga class and yet I thought that was normal yeah and, and I thought oh you know the practice is, is a lot focusing on the physical like what Lee mentioned right at the beginning of the this recording uh, she shared about how you know the journey is very much uh, looking at the progress of your yoga poses and how you go from maybe a forward bend to a back bend and then to a crow pose and I remember like in the first year, you know, when I talked to people who I went to practice with, uh, people were always talking about, oh, uh, have you gotten to a headstand yet? You know, where are you in, in that progress? And I just felt so stressed. Like, how come, you know, in other parts of my life, I'm already very stressed out, but at yoga, I continue to feel this, this stress in my body. And I think it's, it's interesting how over time, we evolve in our own journey and, and we hear Lee and how she evolved into a very precious space of connecting so intimately with the divine and this is how you define your yoga practice now. I'm quite curious for Tammy, how would you say... I don't know if I have evolved. <laughs> <laughs> We're always evolving. Um... When I first started, I was um, battling issues with uh, being depressed and um, actually my husband, he was the one who got me to try out yoga yeah, so that I could just get out of the house. Um, so when I went into that studio, the studio has now closed up. Um, it was also an intimate space. Um, but now as I look back, I felt that I could be in my body more. Like I could be aware of my hands, mm. where are my hands touching my legs. Mm. And in Shavasana, I could feel relaxed. And what is Shavasana? Oh, meaning lying down in resting practice mm -hmm. for maybe a good 5 to 10 minutes at the end of the physical yoga practice. Mm. And I remember that was the first time I felt that my body is loose, like there's no tension mm -hmm. and I could sleep. But at the same time, um, I'm also awake enough to know that the teacher has ended the class and I should come out of the resting practice. Yeah, and that was new to me. If It felt really good lah. Yeah, to be in my body, to know that my body can be uh, safe enough to feel relaxed yeah then subsequently um i was that that class that had the popular teacher teaching with many many students uh, i was i think i was outside of my body mainly because i'm looking at other people mm. like how come they can sustain um i think she was doing many repetitions of something and it's quite physical so i was looking at how others are doing, whether I'm doing it correctly, and how come they can uh, sustain and I'm like panting. Like, <laughs> <met>. yeah. mm. <laughs> um, I was perspiring. So, I, mean, I mean, my mind is attuned outwards rather mm. than inwards. Mm. Um, so when that studio closed, I tried to seek out other teachers in other studios. Uh, I couldn't really find that feeling that I had in the, uh, the the yoga classes that I attended earlier on now where I could be safe. How do you know when you're safe in a yoga class then? I will give my all to the teacher. 
Oh, that is a very interesting point that you will give your all to your teacher. So you surrender everything to the teacher. Yeah. Okay. Um, meaning that I trust mm. that my teacher knows what she's doing mm. and she will let me have the space to choose what I want to do with my own body. So if that day I, I can't do what she has um, shared, then it's okay if I just do my own thing. And also, I have the space to notice my breath, my own body, how is it doing at any given moment uh, during the practice itself. Yeah, rather than me having to look at the person beside me, behind me or in front of me, thinking about how, how do I look like in, in the pose, uh, whether I'm doing it correctly or not. Am I progressing in the poses that I have already done? You know, as, as, as we are all sharing about how we arrive and how we came into this practice, what led us into this practice, I think of something that my um, yoga teacher once said. And he said, you, you have to be, you know, training as a yoga teacher, you, you have to be very aware that people who come into your studio, people who come into your class, they are all carrying some kind of a pain in their heart. And he said something like, their hearts are broken one way or another and, and you need to be aware of that and you need to hold that um, as, you, as you teach. So I'm also, I'm also just reflecting about how we are all carrying different different bodies that have been, been tr- that, that's been through different experiences before we finally show up on the yoga mat in the yoga studio. So I, I'm very curious because Lee has been a teacher for so many years. How long has it been? Almost 10. Almost I 10 years. Yes. Yeah, in, in your reflection as a teacher, um, what would you say are bodies you observe arriving and showing up on the yoga mat and how does being aware of what people bring with them into the class how does that inform you of the way you like to offer the space the way you like to guide the teaching in perhaps moving towards just coming home to yourself, like you said just now, or mm. that remembering that you mentioned in mm. your own personal practice. I'd just like to address something that Tammy was sharing as well about how behaves, I suppose, or how she feels in her body when she trusts her teacher and she gives the teacher her all. I feel like as teachers, the most powerful thing we can ever do for ourselves and our students is to hold that space for them to be themselves. And in order to hold space for somebody to be himself or herself, we first need to be able to hold space for ourselves to be at ease with who we are. And I'm not saying that that ease has to come with enlightenment or samadhi, but that ease probably comes from that willingness to sit in discomfort sometimes, to sit in not knowing sometimes and be okay with that. So to come back to your question, Yoke, I feel that it is only in deeply understanding my body and my body's pain that I was able to recognize the same in the people who came to my class. Previously, when I was younger, and I wouldn't say I had no pain, but maybe I was more dissociated from those states of pain, everybody was just a body, you know, every class was just a way to introduce a funky sequence that I had come up with. So it was very outwardly driven. But when I started, you know, the thing about pain is that it's powerful in the sense that it draws your attention inward. If you're in pain, you can't look out, you have to look in and address that pain. The louder the pain is, the more it holds that space for you to look in. And when I went through some physical pain, like injury in my body that was in my late 20s, I started to realize, hey, this body is not just a bag of skin, bones, and flesh. This body is so much more. 
And if my body alone is capable of so much pain as well as healing, what does that say about the many other bodies that come through my studio doors, right? My class doors. And I think that essentially made me more empathetic, not just as a, as a teacher, but as a person, you know? And with empathy, it stopped being about me delivering a class to other bodies. It became about me offering a class or the practice of yoga to people. And I wanted to know more about them, you know, beyond who, what's your name and what do you do off the mat? You know, where are you holding pain? How can I hold that space for your pain? And I think also for me in my journey, it was finding that balance between holding somebody's pain and not needing to fix it for them. So how do you feel like your relationship has with pain? How has it shifted over the years? I think my relationship with pain and contentment used to be very conditional. If there is no pain or the pain gets better, then I'm happy. Or on days where there's more pain, whether it's physical, emotional or mental, then I am not so happy. But that's not a sustainable way to live because essentially I am chasing only after the good and turning away from the not so good, which you know in the Yoga Sutras we call that the kleshas. Raga is attachment, often to the good, and dvesha is aversion. Yeah. So my relationship with pain is a lot healthier. And the funny thing is, the healthier relationship you have, the less pain strikes you or takes you out of the present moment. And maybe I would say in times of pain, which is not really happening so much these days, it brings me back into presence. It brings me back into presence. Have I been expending too much energy out? Have I been neglecting something that's going on inside? And the way I notice about pain patterns in my body, it's that it's never a separate entity. Physical pain is often a manifestation of a mental or an emotional grasping or block or stagnation. And that physical pain then becomes an invitation to inquire into the source. I think it is not easy to face the pain and to sit with it um, because that will mean you have to face it even more. Um, I'm wondering how, how do you actually do that? Yeah. So I'll share a little bit about my journey. So in 2017, I lost my aunt, who is the love of my life, to terminal breast cancer. and. Part of the reason why it was terminal, apart from the fact that the cancer was so aggressive, was because she had let it get out of hand. By the time she was diagnosed, it was already stage four. And I was a caretaker for nine months. And after she left her body, I thought that I was pretty okay at processing the grief and everything that unfolds with a loved one's death. But I started to take on patterns of hypervigilance. And the hypervigilance in my life was very much directed towards my health. I started to be hyper aware when I felt uncomfortable in my body. So in a way, what was happening mentally was also manifesting physically. And it got to the point where I was confused, like this pain in my body, is it because there's really something wrong with my body or is it stemming from that insecurity and that anxiety in my mind? And I think for between like sweeping it under the rug and trying to find a way to treat the pain, for me that was on a very superficial level. I kept going to doctors saying like, there's something not right with my body, you know, and they'll do like the checks and the scans and it's always okay. And moving towards um, seeing a mental health therapist and talking about the patterns of hypervigilance. And you know, once you see a therapist, it's not just about what you're experiencing. They really dive deep into, you know, childhood patternings and all that. Mm -hmm. So that got me to a certain place, but I wasn't able to fully process the pain in a healthy manner still. Like I said, my relationship with pain was still very conditional. Mm -hmm. You know, can you go away so I can be happy? Mm 
you know, it was not healthy, but I didn't see it then. And it was, I think, my good luck that I came across the paths of yoga teachers who supported me with a practice to quieten and contain my mind and its hyper fluctuations. And through that also a mentor who saw my struggle and in her own way taught me how to surrender, not to her, but to life. And apart from, of course, a personal practice with pranayama and meditation to inquire into my mind, one of the most powerful tools in my journey with pain or processing pain was building a little altar or putting together a small altar at home, sitting at the feet of God and saying like, I don't know the way, show me or give me the courage to move through whatever is coming up at this time. And that relationship of surrender that I was cultivating showed me in reflection like a mirror how controlling I was in all aspects of my life because hypervigilance is, is a form of wanting to control, right? Mm. Let me control it, you know, if there's something wrong, let me catch it before it gets worse, mm. you know, which was really just me processing my aunt and her health journey. Yeah, but that journey of surrender, um, it not only healed my relationship with my mind and my health anxiety, I think it healed every aspect of my life. Because in surrender, I recognize that I don't know. I'm human, I can only see so far. But this greater intelligence out there, this intelligence that puts our bodies together, like all these intricate muscles and bones, you know, that creates these one, this wonderful, magnificent world that we live in, this intelligence can definitely see beyond. So who am I to want to control my life where I can only see so far? A bit passionate. I'm feeling a bit hot. <laughs> no, it's it's really beautiful what you just shared, and I have a lot. Of, I have a lot of thoughts in my head right now. But I'm very in awe with how both of you consistently brought up this practice of surrendering, and I think surrendering is really not easy to surrender something that we hold on so tightly to, which is the need for control and also the sense of control over our lives, over our pain. I, I was just having a conversation the other day with my partner about how do we begin to surrender when you know, our um, instinct is to grab, hold off, is to get in control. And, and I'd love for you, the both of you to share your own experiences because you have both mentioned this word. I think for me, that moment that shifts me into really, okay, I will let go of my control and I will, I will, I will surrender and please guide me in how I can move forward. Please teach me what I need to learn you know, when, I, when I look out to the universe. And, and simply like, like, yeah, you know, this is all I have. I, I bear it all. Like, just tell me and show me what I need to see. And that happened in the mountains in the Himalayas when I was taking that trip in 2018. And I feel like I was able to enter into that space because I first felt the unconditional love. Um, whether it was from the villages in the mountains or whether it was just pure love that I felt in that spaciousness in that place, you know, um, the vast open spaces in the mountains. I just felt that sense of love and I felt like I was loved. And that felt so weird to me because, you know, love has always been a very cliche term to me. And, and I, but I thought, that might have been that moment where my body, my mind, and my spirit shifted. And then from then on, of course, you know, it, it came with a practice and everything because I was talking to my partner about how even after we experienced that first shift, it's not guaranteed that it will sustain. And that's where the practice truly comes in for us to 
reconnect with our bodies, with the sense of surrendering, uh, surrendering, you know, whether to the divine, to the universe, however you like to call it. That's where the practice comes in. I'm very curious for the both of you. Um, Lee mentioned a mentor. Hmm. Um, and Tammy, you mentioned a teacher. And so I'm very curious, you know, it, it seems like your that moment of surrendering, uh, surrendering came to you in the presence of another person. And th this person is, is someone you look up to, you know, you, you see this person as someone who can guide you. Can you share more about that moment you, as you reflect back, you know, maybe back then you didn't quite notice, but now as we're sitting all, we're all sitting here, what do you think was that moment that shifted you into that okay, I gave myself permission, whether it's I gave myself permission or okay, I want to let go of my control, I want to surrender. How, how did you arrive in this, in this space? So when I first went to that teacher, I was struggling in my teaching, uh, teaching of yoga. Um, I felt that um, I had to teach in a way that I don't resonate with. Um, which was what way? <laughs> which was to teach in gyms mm -hmm. and uh, to teach fanciful poses, come okay. up with really nice sequences um, that are not repetitive mm. and there's always surprise challenging advanced poses but also at the same time not too difficult that will turn people off mm -hmm. so there were many thoughts like this in my mind every class I would prepare for every class but after every class I don't feel good if you drain yes so initially I was excited to teach but after a while it got to a point whereby I was dreading to teach but I had to teach because I needed to earn a living as well sure. Um, so I then I started to think like oh I'm not good enough is it I'm not um, like I'm not learning enough mm. and I started to go for like uh, taking courses prenatal kids yoga thinking that oh if I diversify maybe I will find uh, a group of people that I would be able to teach mm. yeah so I was in a very not so good state when I met my teacher and she was the one who told me that um, I think you follow me okay I can't remember her exact words but in essence you can choose to come and follow me uh -huh. and meditate let's mm. meditate together um, and maybe you have more clarity in your mind uh, so I did I meditated, so every class I went and I feel that, oh, actually, meditation did benefit me. Like, usually after every class, I would have some self-discovery of some sort that, uh, it, there's just a light bulb in my head, ding, then I'm like, oh, okay, this is what I'm learning about myself, and maybe, you know, when you learn, when you're a bit more aware about how you behave, uh, what drives your choices, you can make changes. Yeah. Then, um, so I just stuck with her lah. until today. I, I did another yoga teacher training with her because I wanted to learn more. So I was still struggling with that. Um, yeah, more thing and needing to offer different, different things to my mm. student. And actually, at the end of the course, she only had one sentence for me. Like, I think you are doing well. You just need to have more confidence in yourself. They're like, huh? Like that only. So, I, I, but I really took that advice to heart. Lah. So, from, from then on, I always try to remind myself of this teacher's advice to me. Um, okay, earlier on, I forgot, she, she said that I think you need a mentor, so which is why to guide you in your own yoga practice and your teaching practice, which was why she said follow her. Lah. Mm. And that's why I just cling on to her until, until now and I, I try to stay with her advice. Mm. Yeah. Um, 
Um, so that was how I started and when Lee talked about her teacher, I, I resonated with the idea of having a, a mentor, a teacher that we can truly follow. Yeah. What was the other question? That surrendering. Oh. That moment of surrendering. Okay, and I think my life, uh, there are different aspects uh, that I'm still struggling with in terms of surrendering. Um, but recently, I think it, it was like a breakthrough um, episode or event in my life which I felt that, oh, I have learned to surrender, like truly. Um, actually, my grandmother passed away uh, recently, about three weeks ago. And um, I thought I was okay. But I think after the cremation, there were days or moments whereby I feel that sense of grief. And it's um, a feeling, a very visceral feeling that uh, it's just in the background, wanting some attention, uh, yet it's a bit hidden. Um, so I tried to, to slow down. I took uh, time, I mean, I, I shifted my schedule and all that and um, stopped doing things. Started to go in, inquire about this feeling that I have, like, what is the message that this feeling wants to tell me? Yeah, and I began to, to sit, sit with that. Um, and actually, I felt better. Like, I just didn't need to do much, just sit, listen, and maybe offer some encouragement to myself. So I think that day, I, I thought I did quite well. Like, oh, um, I mean, that feeling still calm. But now I know that I have a way to, to talk to it, to deal with it, to befriend it, yeah. So I think that event gave me confidence la, that uh, I could surrender any time that I want, yeah. I think, so I remember two very poignant moments of surrender. One was in 2019, I think, where I think my health anxiety was at its peak. And, you know, I hadn't been fully initiated into the technique of meditation that I'm doing now. And my practice was, you know, like, you roll your mat and you do whatever you feel like it. Yet I felt like of all these spiritual tools, of all these tools of yoga that I have in my toolbox, why am I still so anxious? And why is my anxiety getting worse and not better? And on a whim, one of my girlfriends was off to Bali. I packed my bag in a night. I bought a ticket and I joined her on a flight the next morning. Arrived in Bali without a plan. Went to the yoga barn, which was where I did my training when I was a young yoga student and there my teacher was she saw me and she said come into class come in for free I went into class and I bumped into Sheena my good friend at home yoga she was there and I bumped into another friend who was there as well it felt like somehow the universe had conspired for these people to be there to remind me that hey you're gonna be okay and my mentor, the same one who got me to, to, to do up an altar, she prescribed me, like, she prescribes books. So she prescribed me with this book um, by this lady, Anita, I can't remember her surname, but it was called Dying to Be Me. And it spoke about a lady who was also so fearful of getting cancer, eventually getting cancer, almost dying from it, and her journey of healing and recovery. I had finished reading the book maybe about three days into my trip in Bali. I took a shower. And in the shower, I just happened to have a conversation with God or the divine, that, that bigger intelligence out there. And I realized that I was angry. I was extremely angry that my aunt had to go through what she had to go through, the pain and suffering of cancer. And I went on to like a little bit of a rage, like, how can you put her through that? You know, she's a good woman. Why are you putting a good woman through this pain? You know, and I just went off on the spiel until I sort of like exhausted myself out, crying and sobbing in the bathroom floor. 
And this realization came, which is everything unfolded the way it was meant to unfold. But I was just not able to see it from where I was standing. And I think an understanding that this greater intelligence out there can see beyond and me acknowledging that, yeah, I don't know. And I need to stop pretending like I know. That was my first initiation into surrender, which like Yoke said, is a process and not a destination. It's like the different levels of samadhi. So I surrendered for like a few days, all was well. And then obviously life happened again, tested me and I went back to my patterns of grasping. <laughs> but yeah, so I think it was like an on-off journey and an on-off process until I built that altar in my house, until, um, and at that time, my relationship with health anxiety was getting a lot better. It was another aspect of my life that I was processing. And I remember kneeling in front of the altar one morning, and in my mind, it was the same thing that came up. I don't know. You know, and it was an I don't know that was very visceral. It was an I don't know that came with almost like defeat. And it was in that moment of defeat where I felt that the ego finally shut up <laughs> and something bigger could come through. And in that moment of I don't know, I felt completely held and mm. safe and supported. And I think that has actually been the most pivotal journey um, or pivotal moment of surrender in my journey yeah I don't know and then feeling held yeah you know and whereas often you have to feel like I need to know everything in order to feel held mm. but it was the complete opposite for me I don't know so help me show me show me the way stay tuned to the second part of our conversation with Lee around the practice of surrendering around her personal yoga practice and so much more until then take care and may your days be filled with ease